Welcome to Circal's HR Futures podcast. This podcast is brought to you in partnership with Kaplan Performance Academy, helping you meet your organisational development needs. Um, my guest today is Bertie Tonks, who is the Chief People Officer at Collison, and we'll talk a bit more about that business and his role in a moment. Bertie's a huge supporter of Zircal and uh, he's been a guest on a webinar before. So I'm delighted to have him on uh, this podcast. We've been trying to get a date in the diary for ages. So welcome, Bertie. Good to have you uh, at the HR Futures podcast. Excellent. Well, thanks for having me, Kevin. Always good to have a chat. I, I'm not quite um, clear where we're going to go in our conversation, as is normal when we get together, but it should be, should be quite interesting. And, and I see you've dressed up for it. I've dressed up for the occasion. You know, well, I, I thought one of us would, Kevin. It's uh, you know, it's Christmas. I thought this might be our last shindig before before we get to the new year. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for ta- taking the time and the trouble. Um, so um, let's start off. Tell us a bit about Collinson, because again, I, I mean, people will know it for different things. So tell us a bit about the organisation, and, and I suppose the focus of your role. Yeah, brilliant, Kevin. So, uh, Colin, we, we are a global loyalty and benefits business. Um, what does that mean? Well, we, we work with um, uh, predominantly actually in the FS sector and travel. So we work with over 600 banks, including the big networks like MasterCard and Visa. And we create their, 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 their loyalty programs effectively. So um, in addition to that, we've got things like insurance businesses. We've got um, a loyalty business. And what most people will know us for, I guess, would be the airport lounges, Priority Pass. So, We've got about 13, 1400 air, airport lounges around the world. Um, and I guess more recently, I mean, we've always had an assistance business and more recently as a result of COVID, we've really pivoted our business into, into that assistance world. So you'll really know us now for the work that we're doing globally, but particularly the UK to push ethical and safe travel through the airport testing. So we're the force that's really behind kind of reinstigating that whole industry where we're seeing you know thousands and thousands of jobs being lost right now and so how many people do you employ how many people do you employ globally so probably about 1800 people globally across 24 locations so real real diverse mixture of uh, of, of people and specialisms ranging from you know data scientists we've got some i believe that have developed um uh, d- developed uh, for the some of the technology for the army for guided missiles for example um, and they work in our data department so um, but then we've got we've got um, you know again deep loyalty specialists. We've got a whole range of um, of professions. It's a real eclectic mix, Collinson. We're a really yeah. entrepreneurial business, and I think we uh, we thrive on our owner once said employing people that no one else would have. Uh, and what that's it, not, not a bad place to be, I don't think. Yeah, and what what he, you know what he means is just you know we we love a bit of difference at Collinson, and we we we. Um, I think it's a really good breeding ground to do great things. I think okay. that's the reason I've been there for eight years. Yeah, I know you've been there for eight years. We'll talk a bit about your career in a moment. Tell us a bit about your role. So what, I mean, people and culture director. So is there a difference between people and culture and chief people officer or HR director? Yeah, do you know what? Um, uh, I, I, I really, really love our profession. I, I'm so, I think it's the best profession in the world. And I honestly mean that. Um, but along the way, I've had, you know, some, some amazing people work in our profession, but I've been quite tainted by our kind of ability to stick to the same old models and same best practice that we've been doing for years in some areas. So I, um, I love to poke a stick at our profession a little bit. So um, and, and in doing so, would love to think that, that I, I want to be at the forefront of changing where we really need to evolve to over the next 10 years or so. And I, I think people and culture for me was a my kind of little shift away to saying actually it does what it says on the tin this is exactly where our focus is it's not just about the human resources but it's about injecting everything that we need in our culture to help our businesses be successful and and, and make sure our people have a great experience yeah sounds sound, sounds it sounds like a great organization sounds like you've got a great job so Let's go right the way back to your beginning of your career, because I always try and start there because I'm really fascinated by how do people arrive in the jobs that they arrive in? Yes. So I suppose the question is, um, are you one of those people that decided early that you wanted to be in the people business or somehow did you fall into it? So how did you sort of start in, I don't know, education and 
deciding what you were going to do with your life and how did you end up in the people stuff? I think I knew I wanted to be in HR when I was about five. No, I didn't. I didn't. I, Natasha, <laughs> no one's ever said that. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I was six, I ran around pretending to be in HR. Um, I think it was when I was about 25, I fell into this thing called um, learning and development purely by accident. And um, what became really clear to me was it was a, it was a, a, you know, a role that I could really bring my strengths and some of my, you know, my, my whole thing in my, in my life has been my superpower, as I call it, has been around people. And I found this role accidentally that happened to be part of HR. And um, from there, I just, I just developed my career into becoming kind of a, more of a talent and organization development specialist. Worked in, you know, across multiple sectors, which we'll probably talk about a bit later on. But, um, and I was really, I've always been very inquisitive and I've always been interested in, you know, if someone's, something's going on over there or there's a little project going on over there, I want to know what's going on. I guess typical extrovert, you know, I want to know a lot about, I want to know a lot about very little, right? It's because it's kind of one, I want to know as much as I can in, in as much of what that's going on around me so that I can figure out whether there's an opportunity for me to shine in that space <laughs> or even just to kind of, you know, do something that perhaps I might enjoy a little bit. Okay. So, um, and what did you do at school or what did you do prior to sort of getting into learning and development? Because I, you know. Yeah, I think I was always, well, I, I left school with virtually no qualifications, I have to say. Um, but for anyone listening out there, do go to school, do pay attention. It is important. Um, uh, but I think one, when I left with no qualifications and I, I fell into, into the HR space, I was always told, you know, you need qualifications in order to progress. You've done really well to this part, to this point, but it's going to stop you. Um, only when people stopped telling me that I needed qualifications to progress, did I then do qualifications. And I did my master's in uh, global human resource management. And, you know, along the way, I've, I think any qualifications or accreditations that I've had, I've always wanted to make sure that they're things that are that adding real practical value to what I'm doing around the learning space, around psychometrics, around managing group dynamics. So real kind of practical nuts and bolts. And I think that's a really good thing for, for, for people coming into the profession to think about is, you know, what's the, think about the broad range of skills or, or expertise that you can start to build along the way. And each time you do that, put that feather in your cap and know that that's with you for life, only to be improved further, further on. So, um, I, I didn't wasn't a great believer in qualifications. I do think they play an important role now. Um, I mean, I think I've heard you talk about when you did your sort of masters, you actually learned quite a lot, didn't you? Uh, I think you're right. You went with a, a mind that I'm choosing to do this. This is for me. And I think you got quite a lot out of it. But that's because you'd done years and years of work experience. You knew knew what you were after, I suspect. Yeah. And, and you know what? My, my family are OK. I was never really rich and my family certainly weren't. And I think why, why I think what I've just said is really important is that not everyone can afford to go to university, Kevin. Not, any, not everyone can afford that higher education or work for companies that are willing to invest in them. I, I work for companies that probably were if I was interested. Um, but, but, but I think the message here that I wanna, I wanna share with people is, is if, if that's a blocker, don't let it stop in the way of, of this becoming the profession for you. It's a brilliant profession. And, and if you get that expertise, if you get that experience and exposure, um, that, that, that will, it will really stand you in good stead for bolstering your career. The qualifications bit, if that's a real, you know, if, that, if there's a real blocker to that, that can come later. Don't worry about it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. I mean, I did all my education later on when I was working as well. So I think we've got a similar story. So let's talk a bit about your your sort of development in HR because one of the things I'm always fascinated is, is that people between move between different industries and mm. and you've had sort of a range of you know so you've worked in um Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors you've worked for the Economist Group Chrysalis which was a media company um you worked out in the Middle East so you've worked in a whole range of different organizations and I suppose what I'm interested in is I want you to compare and contrast HR or people management in those organizations you know what's yeah. the same and what's different because again I'm I'm interested in that yeah well and, and I've also worked um in the middle of the North Sea there was a point where I used to fly out by helicopter to the gas rigs in the middle of the North Sea every week um working with these you know really hardened 
guys, I'm doing them a dis dis disservice by calling them, you know, tools and spanners, you know, but these were hardened, hardened, hardened people. But so across all of the industries that I've worked, different sectors, um, from market traders to musicians in the media industry, as you say, um, one, thing's, one thing's become really clear early on, Kevin, is um, we're all apes without hair. We, we, we don't change. We're still, some of us, okay, less hair than others, right, right now, but um, we, we don't actually change that much. Now, now the intelligence around our, around our specialisms or our sectors hmm. and the experience, that changes, that, that's, that's, and that's quite significant. But, but human nature is exactly that, and it really doesn't change. Human dynamics doesn't change across industry sectors. So anyone looks at my LinkedIn will see every three and a half years, I've purposefully moved to another, another job. And, and, and most of the time I've looked for an industry sector that's completely different to what I've done before. Very much consciously around, you know, I wanna dump myself in that bucket that's very, you know, ice cold bucket, an industry that I don't know, to get that shock and to learn something else. And, and in part, I guess, in, a, in a, fair, a little bit of a twisted way to, to test, to test my knowledge and my, my expertise along the way to know where, and, and, and I really am a believer, having done, done a lot of that, although I'm definitely not at the end of my career, um, is, is that, that by doing that, there are always gonna be some huge lessons that you can take. And I think that people aren't different. Uh, the, the, the point around human dynamics are not different. But what is really key, I think, for HR people is we've got to really, really pay attention to understanding our business, understanding the language of, of, of doing business with our organizations, because we can do small talk and we can connect with people on a recruitment level or a performance level. But if we really want to have meaningful conversations with our leaders our, our, and our managers, we've got to start to be able to have conversations using the language that they do and, and understanding the pressures that they're facing. I don't disagree with that, Bertie. And what's interesting is how do you learn that? How did you pick it up? I mean, I, I, again, I think I've got that. I, I'm a business person first and an HR or people person second. You know, I'm really interested on how businesses make money, their operating models, how do they compete, what's their differentiator, how do they create their, all of that stuff. And then you think, well, actually, how do I get people aligned to that? But yeah. How, how do you pick that up? Because again, a lot of HR people go, well, what do you mean by the business language? What do you mean by understanding the, uh, the dynamics of the organisation? So how have, you, how have you gone about that? How have you learned that over the, the years, whenever you've gone into a new organisation to ask the right type of questions and get underneath the surface? Good question. Um, so I, I've, I have been fortunate enough to work with some brilliant people. I mean, real talent in the HR space, Kevin, over the years. Um, but most of the teams that I've worked in, when we all were sitting there thinking that we understand our business, what we really understood was HR. What we really understood was, 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 was people. Um, and I, in reflection, there's probably a lot of companies that I've worked for where, where the HR teams, including me as part of that, haven't really kind of, haven't, haven't, haven't sat down with our leaders or amongst our leaders when they're talking about the battle of doing business, when they're having conversations around um, our competitors that are, gaining, that are gaining ground, around the risks that are facing us externally in the markets around our products or propositions. And, and I think when it clicked many years ago, started to click for me that actually that was important to, to sit and listen and really learn. Um, I think from then I started to see a different way that I could add value, that HR could add value um, to our businesses. And I think it was at that point, actually, where I started to feel like I wanted to put that, so I talked about poking a stick at our profession a little bit, because I was like, actually, I, I see something now that I, I myself hadn't seen for many, many years. So I would say, um, in being part of our leadership teams, in being part of your, your management, senior management meetings, um, don't sit there presenting and trying to like building yourself up that this is all about engaging with the HR activity and the new talent management frameworks that we're looking to introduce. And, and instead, let's spend more time. It is a really valuable lesson that I learned. Spend more time listening and really understanding about the pain of doing business. And I think there's a lot to learn there, a, a lot that we can translate then into what the new world of HR will eventually look like, if I'm honest. Well, I think I think you're absolutely right, Bertie, because if you're going to try and say what talent's going to make a huge difference in this organisation, 
You know, what capability are we looking for that we haven't got that if we had, we could do greater things? If we go, you know, how, what does great performance really look like? And getting people to articulate that because those things then enable you to benchmark and develop people and grow people and find new people to bring in. So it really informs all our work, but you have to get the, to the bottom of it, don't you? And, and what I, I couldn't agree more because what I found was, um, and I found this even myself, but I would work with, with HR people, including myself, and we'd be like, I'd say, do you really know this business? And yeah, 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 I do. But there comes a point, once you've been there for six months or a year, there comes a point when it's almost like you'd feel stupid by asking our business leaders or managers about how we do business in their areas because you think, oh God, I should know this already. Um, but it's never too late. Even if you've been there years, just get someone to sit down and say, like, just kickstart that conversation. What's the stuff yeah. I don't know? Yeah, and I think you're right, Bertie. A lot of it's about asking the right questions, isn't it? You know, what if questions or how about, you know, how about we tried this? What happens if, how about, what happened, What would happen if we did that, that and that? And those questions, you know, if you have them in your locker, they, are, you know, every time you ask them, even if you've been in an organisation five years, people will say stuff, you'll go, oh, that's quite interesting. I never thought about it like that. Or why are you saying that? And all of a sudden you're in a different space, aren't you? So oh, you're right. Being inquisitive, really asking questions and trying to get underneath what people present initially is absolutely the right way to go. Um, yeah. Going to move us on a bit. Um, yeah. I want to talk about something you mentioned already, which is really topical, which is obviously we're nine months into COVID now. Um, and um, I think it's been a, an incredibly tough year for most people uh, in some way, shape or form. I mean, all of us, to some extent, have been locked down and it's changed our lives with our, our families and whatever economic impact has been significant businesses have had to fight incredibly hard to survive and to pivot and adapt and change so just tell us a bit because obviously Collinson's a an international business and one of the challenges with that is you know everyone's dealt with the crisis differently they've all been at different stages of lockdown or whatever it may be and testing regime so yeah. I, I suspect it's been a really you know, tumultuous and difficult year for you and the business. So just tell us a bit about how you've coped and what you've done. But more importantly, I think, what you've learned, what you and the businesses have learned. All right. OK, great, great. So, look, I've, I mean, I've, I've said it before in, in, in other channels, but, you know, um, six out of seven of my team in the UK alone lost, sorry, six people in the UK team alone lost seven loved ones to COVID. So the human impact of COVID has been devastating for, 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 for me and my immediate team. I do think it's been a brilliant time, COVID, for HR profession. Definitely, certainly so at people and culture team at, at Collinson. Um, it's given us a real opportunity to lead. We've, we've spent so, many, so much time over the years doing the really, really important things and their journey is nowhere complete around diversity and inclusion, around wellness, around all that stuff. But there's no denying, as much as we hate to think so, that a lot of our leadership, while they know that that's a good thing to do, might, might deem it to be a little bit more on the fluffier side of, of doing business. COVID's presented a really good opportunity for us to show the businesses that we can also do the difficult stuff as well. And I think that stamp um, on our profession has been a, it's been a really important moment in time. At Collinson, most of our revenues come from the travel industry. You know, mm. majority of our revenue comes from airport lounges. So one of the really, really good things I think that we did, we, we very early on ran a, got teams around the world doing brainstorms. So my people and culture team, we did a brainstorm, for example. What can we do to help or get ourselves through this period? So one of the things that came out of our brainstorm was this idea of assistance and doing airport testing. Well, I can't talk about the clients we're doing testing with, but way beyond, um, way beyond airport testing, we're doing movie productions, cruises. I mean, we're doing all sorts at the moment. So that's enabled us to pivot the strengths of our business, but use it in a different way. One of, the, one, of the, one of the great ideas that came from the people and culture team for that, for example, was, hey, well, if we're hiring people for the testing in the airport space, why don't we look to hire people from the ecosystem of the travel industry? And now we've just, we've just hired well over 100 people um, into the airport testing, for example. We've got pilots, cabin <laughs> crew, baggage handlers. And so, so it's just to get us through this. But these are all people that have lost their job in, in that sector. So I think we've we've done a really i'm really proud of what we've achieved at collinson through this time not just as a business but i think as a company we very quickly turned our attention to things like wellness 
and doing monthly pulse surveys and getting into the, the living rooms of, of, and the kitchens and the bedrooms where people are working to understand how they're feeling. Um, a real recognition early on that if we're going to drive performance through this period, we need to step inside people's houses somehow and understand what, what they're going through and therefore drive activity quickly with, with real diligence, with real velocity around the big things. We've taken three things at every, we're doing a wellness survey every month. And every time we're like, what are the three things that we need to focus on that's gonna drive the biggest value? Um, because so, we've got- so, the, let's go on. So, so what's the, the big learning for you? Is it about, it's most probably something to do with listening again and, and asking the right questions or, or just really engaging people through a difficult time, you know, keeping connected, asking questions about how people are feeling, listening, responding, and, and I suppose creating that, that support environment. And if you do that, you, you know, you'll get energy, enthusiasm, inspiration. But you tell me you're learning because that's me putting words in your mouth, Bertie. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's everything you just said, Kevin. I mean, that's it. Really, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, do you know the biggest thing? And it's been, it's been, an almighty, almighty lesson, and it doesn't sound that big on, on, on paper, is we've got to look at the whole person in terms of our people. When, when, I was, when I was in an office and I was based in an office, we know, we accept, we acknowledge that people go up and down in their temperament. They've got stuff going on outside of work that might impact their behavior or you know, the way that they are. Um, we become much more really astute to the impact of this um, through COVID, because we're all working in this way. Loved ones losing jobs, um, people with terminal illnesses, domestic abuse going through the roof, one in four men, uh, one in four women, one in six men suffering domestic abuse through this time. That there are people's mental health. I think what it's done is it's turned those things from not being fluffy when we've got time to being that, that whole person mentality is really critical. And I think something that certainly in my team and through, throughout the rest of my HR career, we, I'm never gonna let go of that. And, and you know what, there are things that we can do to help. And, and this whole person focus, it's my biggest learning. This okay. whole person focus, person, this whole fo um, person focus will drive greater performance, engagement, all of that kind of stuff. And I don't disagree, but and you, you showed me something earlier, which I think we should share on the podcast. So, I mean, if people are watching this, you're going to be able to see it. And if not, we'll describe it. But just share it. Show us your two friends that you, that, you had with you earlier on. So, so I, I don't carry these around me. These are on my kitchen side earlier on. And, um, you know, there was a time as we were going through COVID. It's, it's by a, an artist called Cause, K-A-W-S. And it's called Along the Way. And there was a time around my birthday funny enough, but um, where, where a few of my team had lost loved ones. We were working 14 to 18 hour days, seven days a week, because we were determined to do our, to play an important role in leading our people and our business through this crisis. Little did we know it was still going on and we're, we're now exhausted. Mm. Um, but when I saw this, um, the re reality is I've become quite emotional. I'd never seen it before. And I just thought, that's me and my team. Um, so every time I look at this, it reminds me of the most powerful, one of the most poignant moments in the whole of my career when I'm looking at my team, they're looking at me and I'm, I'm not exaggerating the story. We look at each other thinking we've got nothing left to give emotionally, physically, but we have to keep on. So that's, you, you, you did ask. I did. And, and I think you need to just describe it. So when you look at it, what do you see? Because obviously if people are just listening to this, it's, it's two people arm in arm. Um, and their heads are down. They look like they're supporting one another, encouraging each other. I don't know. What do you take from it? I mean, it's something that obviously resonated with you emotionally. For anyone that can't see this, look out for Google, um, Cause, K-A-W-S, and it's called Along the Way, and you'll see an image in Google. But, um, yeah, it's two people. One's got their head really hung low. Their shoulders are forward. Um, they look tired, but they've got their arms around each other. They're, they're almost supporting each other. You can see that they... They're just inanimate objects almost really, but you can see that they're, um, they're just very tired, but they, they mm. look like they're, they're continuing on their journey. That's what it speaks to me. <laughs> okay. All right, so um, let's sort of move on. Let's go back into your career then. So I'm always interested in, you know, what people think they've done um, that's had a big difference, that's made a significant difference to 
an individual, a team, or more importantly, perhaps an organization, because we often work at, at that level. So sort of think about the thing that perhaps you've been proudest of, the an intervention you've made or something that you've done that you think actually that was absolutely top notch and, and made a big difference. Yeah. Um... I, I certainly think actually the, the, the stuff that I'm talking about here in terms of the, the, some, we've been very challenged financially through COVID um, uh, and at Collinson and my, my global people and culture team, um, we've been highly innovative in spite of having no money, um, in spite of having nothing left in the tank to give. So I'm really, really proud of this, of this time and the innovation that's come um, from our team around this, whether it's supporting people uh, through financial programs or offering um, so they get finan um, financial advice around how to med um, manage credit cards or debts or um, uh, offering programs to loved ones who've lost their jobs. Nothing to do with us, but we've, we've been supporting them as well in that. So I'm really proud of what we've done and, and, and the risk that we've been able to mitigate by managing our business, let's say, um, really well through this period. That, that's one thing I'm really proud of. I'm really proud of the fact that, and, and I, you know, I'll just stay, stay close. There's lots of things in my career, but let's keep it. I've been at Collinson now for seven and a half years. I don't want to keep going back in the, in the rear view mirror. Um, but, but for our time at Collinson, you know, two years ago, our global recruitment costs were um, 7.4 million. There's a lot of revenue you have to bring in the door to, 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 to pay for that sort of, uh, those sorts of costs. Well, we're now sitting at about 1.6. Um, okay. that's, that's just in a two-year period. That, now, this doesn't sound life-changing, but but I'm really proud of that. Well, um, if you can, I'm a great believer in one of the things I always say about HR function saving money is because you can take that money that you've you would have spent on recruitment and invest it in other things that have more of an impact. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, def definitely, definitely. And and you know, we've the culture of our business has always been um, very entrepreneurial. So I'm really, really proud of how we've taken what existed uh, when I stepped into my role, my current role as Global Director of People and Culture three and a half years ago to where we are today, that the journey's enormous and, and we're seeing this in our data. And that's really important as well. Um, we're seeing this in our, in our engagement data and our, and our performance data. So not bringing extra revenue in, but we can see the impact that this is having in, in, in very real terms on our people and our culture. Just to go back very, very quickly to that example, what did you do that say instead of spending 7.6, you spent 1.3 or whatever it was, you know, a six million pound saving, which is pretty, what did you do? Great. So um, we um, bought in an MSP, so managed service provider for, um, for our contractor staff. So that helped to mitigate all the risk that we were exposed to in, in previous years, which was great. Helped to drive down costs and efficiencies. I... Um, invested a lot of time and effort in um, building a really, really good talent acquisition team. I bought, um, at the time, a guy called Ross Broom in, who uh, was a, you know, a, a young gun, um, but really, really hungry. And I gave him, uh, him and a guy called Simon Young, I gave them the opportunity and the space to do something special. That was my, that was my, um, my, my challenge to them. And, um, you know, and with that, they also drove a lot of product project type activity, which, which helped to reduce our, reduce our costs, like um, a digital creation of a digital onboarding um, solution. And, you know, looking at how we did values-based assessment. So it was around how, what could we do to make sure that when we were bringing people in the door, those bunch of people that were coming in and saying, whoa, this is entrepreneurial, not enough structure, I can't deal with this, I'm off. Instead of that happening, we, we slowed down that type of attrition because we made much we were much clearer about the kind of talent that would thrive in our company. So beyond just recruitment cost, it was actually even you know much greater than that. Okay, uh, I like that. So we've talked about what you're proud of. When you think about your career and you know you've made mistakes, I'm a great believer in as long as you learn by mistakes, they're they're absolutely fine. But tell us something when you look back with hindsight and you go. Well, that was a great piece of learning. I wouldn't do it that way again. Yeah. Well, I, I, and, and I'll expand just a little bit, as I do, Kevin. I know you're probably rolling your eyes when I say that. Here he goes again. <laughs> um, but but one, one of the things for me, I wish I had ever understood the power of networking in my career earlier. My gosh. I, I, I attached onto this when I was about 30. 
And I wish I, you know, nearly all my jobs have come through through my network. And I think that's the way things are going. And um, I wish I had have under, I wish I had have understood the, the power of that much earlier on. So how do you use your network? So what's the, the what's the value? I mean, obviously, hope you get jobs, but what? How else do you use your network? So I use my network in a way probably that that that, that, that a lot of people don't. I would suggest, and I'm, I'm just making that assumption. Uh, my my aim with my network is I, I, I want I expand my net, network very actively and globally, but my aim is to deliver as much value as I can to people in my network as much as I can. Um, now there's the um, uh, principles of reciprocity. Uh, sorry, the the, the um, uh, there's a there's a, a principle around around relationships, which is um, it's uh, Robert Robert Cialdini. And he's the um, six, if six or seven weapons of influence. That's it. It's come back to me. <laughs> and one of one of one of one of the weapons that he talks about is um, reciprocity. And that really resonated me, with me when I when I first come across that principle. And and the idea is that if you focus much more on giving value to others, on 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 helping others, on giving people a leg up, even if that's just small gestures. There's an innate um, human um, sense of responsibility to want to give back at some point. So it's not something that, that I ask for. It's definitely not something that I, that I expect back. But by very nature, it's what goes, it's, I guess in simple terms, what goes around comes around. It doesn't always work like that, but I invest a lot of time helping people, giving people a leg up, giving people mm. information in my network. And um, I guess I'm, very giving in that respect. I'm an awful person in many other respects, I'm sure, but um, but but that for me is really important. And and focusing on people, either that they might be peers, but if I get a chance to help people who are coming up, and they've got yeah. questions, or I think I can give them a, half an hour of my time. Um, man, I wish people had have done more of that to me in my career. Perhaps I wouldn't have had to fight my way as much as I did. No, I think there's something in it. There's definitely something in it, I, I, and I, I, about networking generally. But again, in terms of just helping people, the more you give, I think the more you, the more people, you know, give back. And I think it's a very, you know, I don't know, there's something about human beings and and, and operating in that way. Um, let's move on because I, I, I want to talk about something which is most probably I know quite dear to your heart, and we've talked about it before. But I just want to touch on it in relation to this podcast, and that's agile. So um, I can remember that we did a, a, a podcast, not a podcast, a webinar with uh, Perry and you talked about it uh, quite a lot there. So we'll point people back to that if they want to go into it in a bit more detail. But I suppose I'm just interested in how did you come across it and then how have you used it in HR? If you just want to give us a, a sort of a quick snapshot of that. We'll do. We'll do. Well, um, I mean, I run an annual innovation day for HR, my global team, and Every year, we, the, the whole idea is just we get we do a pony show of the best innovation that's happening in the outside world. Um, and we just do this every year. And um, uh, um, the, a couple of years ago, we, we came across this idea of agile. We knew our tech teams were doing this because they've been doing this for quite some time. And um, uh, I, I then found actually I've come across Perry's details, actually, who is brilliant if anyone wants some help on this. Um, and, uh, and he came along to our innovation day and he just lit this fire under me and the team. He just kind of like, look, here's how it can work. Here's the principles. Um, and, and my team, we vote on the innovation day on the things that we're gonna take forward to the year ahead. And, uh, and agile was, 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 was a key one. So we decided to go all in with this. Um, what we knew was that, that it's the moment we were writing plans for our big projects, new things were coming in and sending us a, a curveball. And, and, and what Perry challenged us through through the Agile principle was actually you can't do much too much planning. If you're, if you're going to start to put the customer or our people at the heart of every decision, there's a range of principles and philosophies that, and, and practices that you can go through to really make sure that you're true to that. And in doing so, you, you work towards what we call a, an MVP mindset through Agile, which is um, it's a, what's the minimal viable product. Mm. Sounds very productive, but it's, in other words, simple terms what's the what's the quickest uh, piece of value that we can deliver to our people and our business now that's going to make a difference and so the whole kind of way of working that, 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 that we've adopted in our team is very much geared towards that so how that's really helped Kevin is 
in the past, if I went out with a, and I'll stick with talent management, if I went out with a new talent management program and, a, you know, I've done some engagement already, but I want to get people excited about this. Um, people start to pick it apart very quickly because everyone's an expert about, around people, as we know. And, um, and you can't help but take it a bit to heart. Like we've done our research here, right? Like, and, and we're experts at this as much as we can be. And um, what Agile does is really flips that on its head because all the time you're after little and often feedback and that, that feedback you very quickly feed back into your projects, your Agile projects. And, and so what you do is you, you never take too many steps forward without using the customer feedback and input into improving and developing. And so what happens is they experience, our people experience value much more often, which can only be a good thing because they're not like six months, where's this, where's this piece of work coming? Um, but also we're, we're learning iteratively. So when I get feedback that's really critical, I'm like, now my view is that's a really good bit of feedback. feedback thank you. I'm going to feed that straight back into the project. And then the next week they may see that, that yeah. as a result of their feedback, something's come from it. But the bit I like, I like about it, particularly in terms of HR, is we talk about, you know, I don't know, new talent management system, different performance management, and I don't know, learning development, tons of interventions in a business. And we're sort of taught we know best, you know, it, you know, and, and we're going to design something and we're going to you're going to be lucky enough to be able to use our new tool. And in reality, what's fantastic about Agile is that you co-create it with the people that are going to use it. So the people that are going to be assessed in terms of the performance management system, the people that are going to run it, the line managers, is you give them something and then you you just keep trying stuff, don't you, and learning from it and proving it, you know. And, and that, yeah, to me, yeah. seems to be just such an easier way of, of developing good products and good interventions in business. It is phenomenal. It really flips it fl flips our traditional operating models on its head, Kevin, because we've got they're different customers or, or different people in terms of their focus on, on our responsibility to deliver, deliver a great experience. There's the HR community, because we have to get it, we have to buy into it, and it has to be workable. There's our leadership, there's our managers, and there's your, your, your John and Janet employee who are working their way through the organisation. And what Agile does is you look at the... At, uh, their experience through their lens you wouldn't you wouldn't um you wouldn't build a new phone or develop um uh, a new chair without understanding what your customers are really asking for you wouldn't you wouldn't develop a chair for example using that example and design this beautiful chair for market without without asking questions around is it for the dining room or is it for the front or is it for the front room or the garden how do I want them to feel? Are they going to be there for a long time? How do I want them to feel? What's their experience when they're sat in that chair? So from a learning from the product world and the tech world, why wouldn't we adopt the same type of thinking, design thinking around our people? I think it's, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a, I'm very passionate about it, as you well know. So. No, I think, I mean, the reason I wanted to mention it is I think there's, you know, we're encouraging HR people to think differently, to learn differently. And I just think there's, something quite fundamentally in terms of, as you say, changing our operating model. So I want one more, I'm going to ask you one more question um, and then we're going to have a quick break and then we'll be back right. in our second half to talk perhaps a bit more macro about our profession and, and, and what's going to happen as we sort of look into the future. But the question I want and, and, and to talk, ask to you now is, um, and I always ask this question because again, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in people strategy. And, 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 and I've been asked this question loads of times, which is, how do you decide what to do and what not to do? So, you know, people say, you know, we've got, you know, we, this is, we've done all of this last year. We've got another 20 things we're going to deploy next year. And what sometimes I find is HR functions or people functions, this get busier and busier. And we're trying to run all the stuff we did last year and another 20 projects this year. And actually, I think it's about prioritization and picking fewer things to make bigger impact. So how do you go about in your business making the trade off between what we're going to focus on and what we'll leave for another day? Yeah, good question. Um, inherently, with our profession, we know there are things that, that, that we want people to do, right? Because it's good for them. You know, um, you know, stop smoking, right? People know it's good for them, but they're not going to do it. For years, we've pushed at performance management. We want people to adopt it. They don't. We know it's good for them, but they're still not interested. 
Um, so, so I think we just need to be, we need to be really careful about our, our conditioning through some of our education as we transition through our careers. We need to be really careful. If I think about a new employee coming into our business, what they bring very quickly is a fresh perspective and they see things, they identify things that are inefficiencies or things that could be improved. And very quickly as organizations, we try to condition, no, that's this is not how things work, right? This is how we do things. Um, and I think the, the same kind of principle applies for, the, for, for, for us in the HR profession. Let's start listening to, and, and it goes back to my point about really understanding the language of business and moving more agile. I think if we're gonna identify our priorities, let them be business driven. So if we're gonna do, if we're gonna develop a talent management program, why are we doing it? What, what's, what's the real need for it? Honestly, because there are a lot of other things we could also be doing. I think enormously helpful, enormously powerful when done right. But let's make sure that we're designing solutions for problems that exist. And, and we have more limited resources. If we're, gonna, if we're gonna focus our efforts, let's make sure they're on things that are gonna drive the biggest value for our business and, and, our, 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 and our culture and our people. So for me, the priorities have to come. So for example, when I'm, when I'm creating a people strategy, Kevin, the very starting point mm -hmm. is, looking at, is looking at our business areas and understanding what their objectives are across the broad range of businesses that we have. But, but it's also looking externally to see wh where are we being hit? You know, who, who's trying to bite at our heels? Um, for the last nine months, we've been purely tactical. I'm not going to lie. And we, again, I'm really proud of how we've handled it. But I can't wait to get back into that strategic space again. Um, and I've got some, probably for the second half of this interview, some, some you know, very passionate views about how, how HR can help and, and where this is going. For now, for the last nine months, most of what we're doing is tactical. If it's not, good on you. You've been in an industry that's not been too badly impacted by, um, by COVID. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I think the time to start ramping up is now. It's not when the economy really picks up in, in, full, in full earnest. So, no, I totally um, agree. Okay. So, so, so the answer really is really focus on listening to uh, the business and really quantifying the impact or the difference that something could make and trading off. You know, we could do these five things. What's going to have the biggest bang for our buck? And let's focus on those two and leave the other three for next time. I've, yeah, I, I've, I've never had a period where I've said no to our leadership as much as I have done now. Yeah. I'm saying no to stuff all the time. I'm saying I whip them up into a frenzy sometimes. Like, you need this, don't you? Yep. And we really need this, don't we? Yep. And it's going to add value. Yes, it is. And you can see them. They're, they're up for it. And then I say, but we can't deliver it. But why not, Bertie? Well, because we don't have the money or the resources. But I need you to know that that's a conscious leadership decision that we make that sacrifice. It's not because we don't deem it's being important. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does, absolutely. Right. What we're going to do now is we're going to take a, a two-minute break. So join us for the second part of the podcast with Bertie Tonks, who's the People and Culture Director at Collinson. And in the second half, we're going to talk a bit more about the uh, people profession. We're going to talk a bit more about the impact of COVID and what this means for the HR. And then we're going to talk a bit more about Bertie the man and, and what he does outside of work, what his passions are. So join us for the second part of Sir Cow's HR Futures podcast. As the world comes to terms with the COVID-19 crisis, Circal want to help HR leaders look to the future. Will the crisis shift the world of work for good? What will this look like? And how should HR leaders help prepare their business? These are the questions that Kevin Green and the resident Circal experts will consider as part of the Shifting World of Work content series. Visit circal.co.uk to find out how you can get free access to Circal's up-to-the-minute news, research, and opinion for you and your team today. Welcome back to the second part of Circal's HR Futures podcast, brought to you in association with Kaplan Performance Academy. Uh, with me today is uh, Bertie Tonks, who is the People and Culture Director at Collison. Um, and in the first half of this podcast, we talked um, a lot about uh, his organisation, his philosophy, how we got into HR. Um, and I think it's been a really, you know, really refreshing and, and, and good conversation. So I'm going to try and sort of widen the spectrum a little bit. So we're going to talk about 
our profession. And then we're going to talk a little bit about Bertie, the man. So, uh, Bertie, uh, first question in the second half of our podcast is, tell me a bit around um, your perception of our industry. You know, what, what's our failing? What's, you know, what do we do well? So we'll be positive because I think, you know, we've changed, we've modified, we've got better. Yeah. But I still think, and I think you're the same, there's, there's still room for improvement. So perhaps I start with a little bit more you know, positive, what you've seen the change being over the last 15, 20 years that we've been working in this space. And then perhaps um, tell us about what you think our biggest failing is and what the, the one thing is that we could do so much better. Okay, I might have a couple of things to drop in, but that's if that's all right, rather than just one. If that, um, so I think that, I'm re, again, I'm really proud. There was a time where I wasn't proud of, the H, of being part of the HR profession. It was, it was probably a little bit earlier in my career where organization development and talent weren't really such a big thing for, for the profession until it became, a, I felt at the time, it became a bit sexier. And that's being yeah. really honest. I've, I've yeah. got through that, I've got over that. And, um, and we've, we've, we've well, for many I, years embraced it. But I tell you what's interesting about HR is, is actually a lot of different disciplines. And, and, and every time I talk to, so I went to spoke at a conference for, with resourcing people, you know, in-house recruitment yeah. teams. And they were going, we don't really need to be part of HR. We need to have our own view and be, have our own seat at the table. You talk to reward people, they were going, well, you know, we're different. You know, we're all about incentives. And, and then you talk to the learning people and they go, well, we really don't want to be part. It's quite interesting. No one wants to be belong to it, but actually we're all it's the power of all of us together that actually makes a difference but anyhow that's my take so i'll let you finish yeah. the answer to your question yeah and, and, and you know what i think it's time that we uh, and i'm saying this this is different to how i felt you know over the years is it's time for us to put that aside um and it's time for us to to, to come together in terms of our disciplines and understand that actually our profession has evolved so much and in such a good way that we are where we need to be there's a huge journey ahead but we've got a lot to be proud of in terms of um of how far we've come so far i think um uh my my, my dad's got an expression he says only dead fish go with the flow i love it <laughs> love it and, and 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 that's always resonated with me <laughs> since, since I was a kid. and i think i think one of the one, one of the one of the one of the challenges that i've, that I've had with our profession is we, we we stick to the same models principles for much longer than we should, um, and toolkits and, and ways of doing things. So we need to understand the only people putting us in a box is us. And, and I think that our businesses, our people, our cultures, they deserve so, so much more from, from, from HR. And I think there is a lot of good stuff that we've developed as a profession, a lot of really, really solid, great thinking but, but, but as we look to apply that within our own organizations, let's not do it cold. Let's, again, it comes back to this customer, customer first, customer experience first, is let's think about how we can apply that. And, and perhaps, you know, I've just, I've just done an exercise with my team, Kevin, around a nine box grid. I've got to tell oh, you, yeah. we, we, it's, it's an oldie, but a goodie. We it's just a good one. Yeah, there's all, with it. After all these years, we've created what I think is the most exciting nine box grid I've ever come across. Um, but, 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 but again, we've, we've taken existing and figured out how we can make it more contemporary. And it, so, so it's that kind of stuff, really. I think um, we, we shouldn't feel like we just need to go with the flow. That, that's my, my kind of main message around that. And I think we, we, we've got a big opportunity. No, we've got a big responsibility in HR to make sure we're looking externally at the good stuff that's going on. And I mean, you know, sessions like this, hoping there's a little nugget or two in there for somebody, but, you know, listen get involved listen to what's going on in the outside world and, and other companies there's a wealth of stuff out there there's some people doing some great things and that even in some way you may be able to take and, and, and translate into into your own organizations um, okay. and i think interestingly i think we i've been doing thinking a lot about how our, our, our profession's evolving and i think um i know we've spent so much time getting the role of the business partner to where it is today but I think that's going to die. I, I can see the, 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 the <laughs> not the people, but I can see the death of the business partner coming as, yeah, as our businesses continue to evolve. Yeah, I, you, I, I'll tell you mine. You tell me yours because um, 
you know, my my next book, which I'm, you know, I've got to deliver by end of April, is around competitive oh. HR, the future of the the people professional. What a great accept! And I think that at the heart of this is the business partner's role is finished, really, as it's been articulated. But I'll tell mine after you tell me yours. You tell me isn't, why you think dead business partnering's dead. Isn't that funny? So for the listeners or viewers, I didn't not not not, not know that at all. No, no, um, no, no. I didn't. I didn't know you were going to say that either. That's the the fun of these things. <laughs> And, and why ironic, Kevin? Of course, if you've, you've not promoted your own book in this network, then do. <laughs> great books. HR um, competitive advantage, competitive people strategy. Competitive, it's it's amazing. I've given them most of my team have got a copy of that, so it's a their go-to kind of bible at the moment. Some real good forward thinking. But anyway, um, the death of the business partner role. I, um, I can't wait to read that book then. Great. <laughs> um, so I I think that that you know most business partners at the moment are being sucked into doing very tactical, very operational type activity. And um, you, you can't be a business partner and do that. And I, I think that the role of the business, I think we're going to have to, where there's an opportunity, let me start again, where we've got repetitive tasks that are coming through the HR teams, there's inevitably technology that can help deal with that. Where that needs support, there's operational teams that we can put in place and build around that technology to support. I think we need to, my feeling is that we need to suck out that type of activity from business partner responsibilities and instead look to more towards um, business partnering as, as almost HR strategists that sit within teams. <laughs> so, are you, are you, are you, you're laughing? Is this? We're, yeah, we're sort of on the same lines, I think. Uh, okay. So, so I've shown you your mine, now you show me yours, Kevin. Well, well mine, I think, is, I think, you know, I think HR functions may end up splitting into. So I think you're absolutely right. We have loads of things that we need to do uh, operationally to support business. So yeah. hire people, train people, you know, deal with any kind of grievances or any casework, um, pay people, offer letters, tons and tons of it. And we yeah. need to do that really effectively. And I'm with you. I think the business partner has been sucked into two things. It's been dealing with some of that where it doesn't quite work, you know, technology doesn't work. So you sort of do remedial activity. And the second thing is they've been trying to manage the relationship and make that stuff work. So they've ended up being like a customer service person. Yeah. So I think we actually have to accept that we need to do that stuff effectively and think about how we organize that optimally. But I'm with you. The second part of HR is about how do we use talent, capability, the leadership development, articulate our culture, you know, create competitive advantage through using, you know, through the optimization of our people. And I think you're absolutely right. Those are people that have got a broad toolkit. They understand lots of that stuff and they add value to the business. So that's my take. I think we end up with it too. And actually what's interesting is I think if I was a going back to being a people director and I'm not anymore, I think I would give away the operational part and get somebody to manage that who's yeah. better at it than me. You know, a customer yeah. service guy. Because it's all about, you know, execution of great customer uh, employee experience, isn't it? So measure the right stuff, improve it, continuously improve it. I want to be thinking about how do I leverage the culture? How do I get greater talent into the organisation? Yeah, uh, yeah, we, we are very much alive, so I can't wait to read the book. We, we've, um, you know, I've got some some of the best. I mean, literally, I've, I'm not, my team is so strong, and I've got some of the best business partners that, that I've ever had the pleasure to work with at Collinson and globally. I mean, real, real talent. I've, I'm really, really, really proud of my team. And um, if I think about the proportion of their work that's not really that kind of the, the real high-end value stuff. It, it, the, the term that came to my mind recently was it's almost like we provide somewhat of a concierge service at times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's too much hand-holding, you know. I'm with yeah. you. Use the technology. Make it self-service. Yeah. You've got to get on with that. We can support you. But I tell you what we need to be doing is the front end, the thinking, the making sure that we're putting in, you know. Anyhow, I think we're on the same page on that. Let's Lovely. just move on slightly. So what's COVID going to do to HR? I'm with you. I think we've been at the centre of things for the last nine months. I think we're at a tipping point. I think we've either step into doing things differently and better or we revert to type because that's just the way human beings are. So what's your take on what you think we need to be doing more of? Yeah. 
So we're away, we're a while away from the economy picking up, although we're seeing talent mobility starting to spike more now um, over the last month or so, so that's great. Um, HR need to start preparing now, Kevin, for the ramp up. We've got to start getting our, 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 our um, acting gear. And the reason I say that, if I take Collinson, we've made, we've had two rounds of redundancies. We've lost some people that probably we were happy to lose, probably should have, you know, situations where we should have dealt with before. We've lost talent that we didn't want to lose, but we had no choice. But, but however you cut it, you can't argue that we are leaner and stronger now as a business, more compact with the best of the best talent. Again, appreciate we've also lost some of that as well than we've ever had. The real risk that we've got now, HR teams, because a lot of people would have gone through exactly the same thing is when we open those doors again, we only want the best of the best in. We want the best talent that, that, that can, you know, the, the people that are best placed to be able to feed that, that performance culture, that great place to be. Um, and so we, I, think, I think we've got to, certainly in the next six months to, 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 to 12 months, we, we should be tying up all of the great stuff around our talent. We should be putting up, you know, let's, let's reinvent some of that. Let's have a get a, get some real good brains on this amongst the team. Challenge tradition. Um, going back to my, it's a time to flip HR in its head. Some of our some of our working practices, as we get back into a new sense of normal, where we have this more balanced approach around flexible working. As we know, this is this has pushed the agenda across what ten years from thanks yeah. to COVID. But we're going to have a balance of home and um, an office based working. You know, we should be starting to think about what does that what does that look like now? And I think it's going to be slightly different, actually, for, for different companies. And for different, yeah, I think so. And I think for different groups of people in organisations, I also think there's a real challenge, which is an organisational design question, which is personalisation. Everyone wants to work the, the way that suits them. Well, I think, well, if we can encourage that and support it, why wouldn't we? But we also know that we want to optimise human beings. And to do that, we need people to collaborate and work together and have a social network and, and understand and know each other. So we need them to connect. So how do we do both at the same time is a really good challenge. How do we create that flexibility and personalisation? Well, how do we optimise? And I think that's a big, interesting question for HR to be thinking about, as you say, now. Perfect, Kevin. I couldn't agree more. And, and you know what? Our leadership teams, not now, because we're in crisis mode, a lot of us, and we're adding a lot of value and we're leading the way. But give it six months time and our leadership teams are going to be saying to HR, how do we know that we're driving performance? How do we know it's going to come back to that question that we were getting before, but it's going to be even stronger? How can we prove that what we're doing is turning the dial, not just on um you know, a lot of our reporting, a lot of the HR data that we've got at the moment is what I would call reporting. It's the first level kind of, this is what, this is the turnover. This is the um, absence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absence but what we're not doing is, is really leveraging on the, um, what is this telling us? So what is the driver of these things? And I think there's going to be a lot of pressure for all of us, even if you're not a data person, naturally, or you don't have that capability in your team, there's going to be a huge expectation on us to be get really good at that and have that capabilities within our team. I, I think you're right, Bertie. I think the whole thing about causation is something we sort of talked about for years, but I don't think many HR functions are great at it. You know, if I get a 5% improvement in my employee engagement and I'm measuring it every month, what does that lead to in terms of better customer service? Better customer service leads to better customer loyalty, customer spend, better financial results. Now I want to actually understand the relationship between those metrics. So I know what to drive and how to drive it. Yeah, so, so, so one of the things that we're doing in my team, um, we've connected with a, a company in India who can help us with that. So access yeah. to, to data scientists cheaply who are going to help us create some automated um, causation analysis Lovely. on a monthly basis mm. across our um, uh, HRIS, which isn't a great one, I won't say what that is, across our um, wellness, monthly wellness survey, across our BetterWorks performance engagement or um, platform that we have around objectives and conversations yeah. and performance around our um, uh, ATS and our learning management system. And they're gonna help us across that suite. And by the way, not that expensive to do. This is again, the, 
if you've not got the capabilities in your team, I think there's going to be a huge yeah. demand and pressure. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think. Okay, let's um, uh, sort of final sort of question about HR, and then we'll move on to you, Bertie. Um, Final question, I suppose, is a young person, you know, bright uh, individual, I don't know, perhaps in their early 20s. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps they're coming to talk to you like they would to me, like an old head, someone that, right. they, you know. But anyhow, they're coming to talk to, 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 to you and they're thinking about HR as a career. You know, they've got a bit of work experience. They're bright. They're able. What do you say to them about whether they should come and work in HR or working? finance or sales or operations or whatever so you know what would you be saying and and, and how would you articulate their potential um career uh, in the next i don't know two decades or whatever uh, first and foremost I've, I've always loved work i've always said I, I'm, I, I think we're so lucky to work in this profession but i'm much clearer these days about why i think a few gray hairs well if i if i had them um it kind of brings that to light a little bit more um, in, in our profession, we have the ability to impact people's lives. I mean, you know, on a greater kind of greater kind of purpose level, we have the ability to be able to impact people's lives, their careers, their livelihoods, uh, therefore their families. Um, you know, we're, we're focused a lot more on things like CSR and the need to do much more than just make about making money. That whole purpose agenda is and values is bigger and more real than it's ever been. Um, so I, I think do that because there's a higher calling here, which, 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 which I think calls to most people. The, the other thing is, is that there's so many different, as you touched on, Kevin, there are so many different disciplines within our, within, within our fabulous profession that you, can, that you can engage in. And actually, it doesn't matter. I, I never for a moment ever in my life dreamed or ever wanted to become a global people and culture director. Oh, my gosh. There were times in my career where I could have thought of nothing, nothing worse, probably. But our profession is open-minded enough to know that, that when you come from a range of different disciplines, that they actually play the strengths and the experience of those play to different parts of the HR profession quite nicely. And whilst there's new learning that can come, there's a lot of transferable skills, and knowledge and expertise, which can take place too. So I think that's um, I think that's hugely important. I, I would say to anyone looking to come into this profession, take um, curiosity to the max. Be relentlessly curious, and and go on, go on, go on. No, I, I think I think I think you I think I think you're spot on. I think you know if you're inquisitive, if you're one of them people that always wants to know how things work, particularly people. Why do people do that? Why do they behave that way? Why does that happen? You know, if you've got yeah. that itch, then I think playing in our space is a, a very rewarding place to be, isn't it? Very. And, and you know, I, I now look at my LinkedIn again. Every three and a half years I move. I actually was going to move at three and a half years here at Collinson. And then I was offered this role um, to, 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 to take the lead. Um, and I'm so pleased I did. Um, but I think the other thing, the other bit of advice is don't stay anywhere too long. Stay there enough that you can, you've got the ability to be able to help, help identify, drive and deliver huge pieces of value and learn a lot. But if you're early on in your career, take the advantage to move around to different types of industries and sectors and, and even types of roles because you're going to be learning so much. I think uh, in, in looking back in my career, it was, it was, there was a large part early on that was really accidental. But if, if ever I could bottle up a really sound piece of advice, it would be that for anyone coming through and stick with it. Good advice. Good advice, Bertie. So final question, and it's the same for everyone. Tell us a bit right. about Bertie the man. So apart from being a people and culture director, what, what, what are your passions in life? What, you know, what are the things that, you know, I don't know, you like spending your time on you, you know, you enjoy and get, you know satisfaction from it might be music yeah. it might be theater literature i don't know you know but i'm sure there's going to be stuff with you Bertie. in fact i know there is i know there's a, a yeah. couple of interesting things so so why don't you share some insights with our listeners i will do and it's a shame it's the last question because i've enjoyed the chat perhaps you and i just carry on for an hour afterwards <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um so so um so i think the thing that defines me is i'm, I'm a skateboarder and um you know uh um, I'm immensely proud of that. I've been a skateboarder now for 36 years. 
I, I'm, I'm really proud actually of the fact that I've ever made it into the boardroom position because I still on the weekends think of myself as a happy-go-lucky skateboarder that's just inquisitive. Um, so it's quite amazing really. But so it's skateboarder, um, I, I'm immensely passionate about, about that, that, um, that sport, the, the lessons that it's taught me, the whole kind of concept around, you know, be creative, be you, um, be dive, you know, we, we celebrate, we accept diversity, we, um, we fall over, we fall hard, we fall off, you know, sliding down handrails onto stairs on our backs and our necks and we get up and we try the same thing again. Do you still do this, Billy? Are you still, still, oh. still sliding down banisters? <laughs> I, 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 I am. I, I, it's, it's quite funny being chased off of, um, off of um, uh, marble stairs by security guards at the age of 48 doesn't quite feel quite the same as when I was younger. But and it, probably, you most probably don't get away now. They might catch you. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, there's that. There's that. Um, and I'm also a magician and a surfer. So father of two. Um, uh, um, and um, yeah, I love being a dad. I'm, you know what, Kevin? I feel very blessed. Uh, I was a labourer in my life when I when I when I left school. I've done market trading. I've worked in HR. I've done what I've been. I've I've stuck to what I enjoyed. I've done things that played to my strengths, whether that's outside of work or internal, kind of with, within my own life. And um, I feel very blessed, Kevin, to be to be in a place where I am now, inside or outside of work, where I can. Have the opportunity to positively influence um, other people around me, um, and I'll continue to do that because um, I've a heck of a lot to be grateful for. Fantastic! It's been, as always, Bertie. It's been a pleasure. Um, I've picked up some insights and some value myself, and I'm sure our listeners will have got um, lots of nuggets, lots of bits of learning, bits of insight, which will get them to go away and think about stuff, whether it's to you know, look for a, a particular artist or to take up skateboarding or to think about agile. It's all as relevant. So thank you for spending the time with us. And uh, until the next time, um, thank you. Uh, and uh, speak to you again soon, Bertie. Always a pleasure.